I hope I don't need that, but I also don't want to kick it over, and I don't want to knock it off, so there it is. Good morning. Nice to see you this morning on this Memorial Day weekend. It's kind of an interesting thing. We're all together on Memorial Day weekend. That's cool. I've never used one of these before. (laughs) Pastor Tamar must really like it. Is is this what she uses? Oh, cool. Are you, is she here? She's not here, is she? Are you enjoying Pastor Tamar? (laughs) She's a great lady. Yeah, she's a great lady. Stephen, I, I, I don't know how to talk to you or tell you. Is there something I can do to correct that ringing that's in my ears? All right. Okay, good enough. I'll just keep going as long as I can. And we'll do what we can. Hey, I have a question for you. I want to know how many of you would like to learn how to worry more. I mean, you really think your life would be improved if you could worry more. Can I see your hands? No hands. Oh, that was good. I once read about a guy who thought he had actually solved his worry problems. He worried about everything. He worried about his own life quite a bit. He worried about his wife. He worried about his job. He worried about his kids. I mean, if you could worry about it, he worried about it. He even worried about the the tree in the backyard and whether or not it was going to grow. He just planted it six months ago, but it didn't seem to be growing as fast as he thought. He was a worrier. One day, one of his friends realized that he was actually a little more calm today. In fact, quite calm didn't quite understand that, so he asked the worrier, what's up with you today? You seem to be so calm, and you worry about everything. What in the world did you do? And the former worrier said, well, here's what I did. I hired somebody to worry for me. (laughs) Well, that sounded like a pretty good idea, his friend said. Oh, how much are you paying him? I'm paying him $1,000 a week. A thousand dollars a week, he said. You can't afford a thousand dollars a week. He said, I know, but I'm letting him worry about that. (laughs) So why do we worry anyway? We worry for several reasons, maybe, but I, I, I boiled it down to three things I think might be why we worry. Life is hard, and that's for sure. Bad things happen, don't they? Life is hard. The future is uncertain. And it's impossible to always be prepared. So, we worry. And the other reason that we worry is that we are not in control. We like to be in control. I'm not positive that we can ever actually completely be done with worrying. I'm not sure that that is even possible. It seems to be part of the DNA of fallen humanity, just the way we are. However, God knows our tendency to worry, and so he's said a lot about it in his word. 
And he gives us some instruction that if we follow the counsel that he gives us, we could find ourselves worrying less and having more joy, his joy, in our lives. I'm calling our attention today in a few moments here to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8. It's Paul's message, Paul's letter to the Philippian church. But I want to lay a little groundwork for us first as we begin to look at this. Here in Philippians 4, Paul actually circles back to a theme that he began in chapter 1. There, he says that he is going to rejoice in the proclamation of the gospel even though there are very adverse circumstances surrounding it. So we need to remember that Paul is in prison chains at this point. Keep keep that in mind. As he's writing, he's in prison. He says, There are those who are preaching with selfish ambition, not sincerely intending to make... Not not sincerely. He said, I'll start again. With selfish ambitions, not sincerely. He says, Their intent is to make my chains more painful to me. Now, I don't know about you, but... Paul might have been, like I might have been, tempted to worry about that. Since he was so engaged with the gospel, he could have chosen to worry about it. He could have tried to uh, take matters into his own hands. He probably could have even asked some of his friends around him, (coughs) excuse me, people who were supporting him. He might have said, hey, you guys go take care of that. I'm in chains. I can't do anything about it. You go take care of those people. But that's not what he did. He chose not to worry. In fact, instead of worrying, he said, I'm going to rejoice. He said, it's verse 18 of chapter 1, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So he said, I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. It seems to me that in Paul's mind, worrying about it would have indicated a selfish priority in his, his own self. It would also have indicated a lack of his ability to trust God to handle the matter if he'd worried. So here in chapter 4, he is challenging the Philippian church to follow his example. In fact, In the chapter before that, he actually says that. He says, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. So then he comes into chapter 4 and says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. He wants them to follow his example. So Paul isn't asking them to do anything he isn't already doing himself. And yet, no doubt those Philippians, some of them at least, who, like us, might have been wondering and might have asked the question whether or not it is really possible to enjoy life that much, to rejoice always. And again, he said, rejoice. He's kind of making a point of it. The reason that's hard to understand and hard to believe is because when we look around us, most people look like they're not enjoying life at all. 
They're kind of enduring life. Their life is all surrounded by things like uh, anxiety and stress and worry. So in our passage today, we find some solid guidance when it comes to our tendency to worry. It's Philippians chapter 4. Let's go there. Paul says in chapter 4 and verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say, rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. And I want to stop there. I know it's right in the middle of everything, but that phrase, gentle spirit, intrigues me just a little bit. (coughs) I'm struggling. Sorry. The reason it intrigues me is because I don't think we get the full meaning of what's going on there in the term gentle spirit. Our our connotation there isn't right the way I, I think it should be. Other ways of rendering that phrase include things like subtle or, or suitable, I should say, and appropriate behavior. The Phillips paraphrase, which has been around a long time, uses the word, and I love the word, I discovered it years ago, magnanimous. Oh, what a word, magnanimous. And that means unselfish, it means generous, it means selflessness. So, the phrase that he uses to translate that is, let your magnanimity be known to all. The New Living Translation says, let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. So, when we come to let your gentle spirit be known to all men, It's more than just having a gentle spirit. It's having a selfless spirit, an appropriate spirit, a suitable spirit, a suitable behavior, selfless, generous. And all men will see that. That's what he wants. That's what he's saying. So let this selfless behavior, this suitable behavior, Be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. I want you to note with me four steps to worrying less and trusting more. Number one. You're going to love this one. Surrender control. (laughs) Not an easy thing, but 
be anxious for nothing. Do not fret, the uh, Amplified says, or have any anxiety. Be careful for nothing, the King James says. Don't worry, the NLT says. How in the world do we do that? I think the first step is for us to stop trying to be in control. Let's talk about worry for a minute. Literally, in the original biblical language that's around those phrases, around these verses, that word and that phrase means to be anxious, which we get the translation from. It also means to give thought to, or, I find this interesting, to promote self-interest. Do you ever think about worrying being a part of of promoting your own self-interest? That was interesting to me. So, a good definition for worry might be this. Worry is taking responsibility God never intended me to have. Worry is taking responsibility God never intended me to have. In fact, it is actually playing God in the sense that we're trying to control our circumstances and trying to accommodate our own agenda, our own desires, our own interests. We want to be in control. Many years ago, a a researcher, Dr. Walter Cavert, did some research looking into human worry, and he discovered some things that may or may not be significant to you, but he said that 40% of our worries never happen. Now, what that says to me is that 60% of them do, so I'm not sure (laughs) that that's a big deal. Uh, 30% of our worries concern the past. 12% of the things we worry about are needless worries about our health. Really, that's, that's no reason to be concerned about it. 10% of the things we worry about are insignificant or petty concerns. But here's the kicker for me, the amazing part for me. Only 8%, that means the other 92% aren't. 8% of the things people worry about are really legitimate concerns. Only 8% really legitimate concerns. And yet we worry anyway. We worry. And worry kills our joy. Worry tends to expect the worst in life. Worry can get us pretty worked up about nothing. And there are a number of particular consequences, even physical consequences, of worrying. Like disrupted sleep or headaches or lack of concentration, nausea, muscle tension, exhaustion, and even irritability. We worry. No wonder God doesn't want us to spend our life worrying. No wonder He tries to help us see that that's not the way to do it. In fact, the the NLT, as I've already noted, says don't worry about Anything. How in the world am I going to do that? Are you kidding me? That's a pretty difficult 
command, we'll call it that, to obey. Don't worry about anything. How in the world are we going to do it? Let me tell you why we don't have to worry. It has to do with the four words at the end of verse 5. I love these words. Hear them this morning. The Lord is near. Say that with me. The Lord is near. One more time. The Lord is near. Now I'm, I'm aware that some translations, maybe even the one you're looking at right now or the one you use the most, translate that phrase in a way that refers to the second coming of Christ. The Lord is near or his coming is soon. Well, that's true. His coming is soon. And I understand why they do that, why they translate it that way. I don't think it's the most helpful and contextually accurate translation of those words. The second coming is clearly referred to over in chapter 3, verse 20. It's clear. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for Him to return as our Savior. We are eagerly waiting for Him, a future event. But in these verses, here in chapter 4, the immediate context is different. In these verses, Paul is talking about our conduct here and now, not some future event we are anticipating. Here, the context suggests the Lord Jesus is engaged with us. He is right here with us. The Lord is near. He's here. He's right here. So listen. The reason we can surrender control the reason we can rejoice always, the reason we can demonstrate appropriate and magnanimous behavior in all the circumstances is because the Lord is close at hand. He is near. Amen. The Lord, the Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of all things seen and unseen, the Lord of life, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, is with us. He is near. Amen. And that's confirmed throughout the Scriptures. Just a few of them. For instance, in Psalm 45, you'll find phrases like this. The Lord is near to all those who call upon Him. To all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. Amen. The Lord keeps all who love Him. And then in that Psalm 46, you find some more phrases. He is a very present help in time of trouble. Very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And phrases that indicate that He is in our midst and will help as the morning dawns. The Lord of hosts, it says, is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I'm saying he's near. Matthew's gospel declares with the prophet, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. And what does that mean? God with us. 
(laughs) When Jesus himself was saying farewell to his disciples and challenging them to carry on the mission, what did he say to them? Lo, I am with you always. I'll be there. I'll be right with you. He's just near. And not only is he with us now, I mean, I'm not discounting the future. Not only is he with us now, but he will be with us in the future as well. We can count on him to avenge his people, to fight our battles, to actually vindicate our just cause, to right the wrongs and set the record straight all in his time. That's all part of it. The Lord is near. So let Him be in control. And don't worry about anything. I didn't put it in my notes, but the Lord reminded me of it last night and again this morning. And so there's this little story about a lady, an old saint of God that was in my church when I was growing up. I don't really know... Her first name at all. I just know her by what I think I remember as being Sister Boffman. That's all I know. She was an older lady, widowed, living alone in an apartment. And one day, her landlord came to her and said, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm selling and you're going to have to move out. You're going to have to find another place to live. She took that news, said, okay. And then told the Lord that she needed a new place to live. The, you know, it was a few weeks off. And her friend, the friends around her began to notice that she wasn't looking for any place to live. And I, I don't, I, I'm assuming she didn't have all the resources that we might have today to look. But the fact is, she wasn't making any effort. One day the pastor called on her and, and said... You know, Sister Buffman, how how come you're not looking for a place to live? Don't you think you ought to be out there looking? Her response was something that I never forgot when the pastor told me this story. She said, oh, I told the Lord about it. He's looking for me. Amen. As I remember the story, the very last week, the week she had to move, Somebody came knocking on the door and said, I hear you're looking for a new place to live. I've got just what you need. I've told the Lord about it. He's looking for me. The Lord is near. Let him be in control. Don't worry about anything. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's the kind of formula we all ought to live by. We probably can't just... Count on God to find places for us to live every day. And yet, when led of the Spirit to do such things, and when we're in those kind of situations that she was evidently in, He's near. He can take care of it. So, aren't you glad that these all four steps here are not quite as long as the first one? (laughs) Because we'd be here a while. So the second step in worrying less and trusting more is this. Tell God everything. Tell Him everything. Verse 6, 
the last part of that, in everything by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. Paul is saying that in every circumstance, don't panic, pray. Imagine if we stopped worrying how much more time we might have to actually pray. We wouldn't have to worry about it, we'd just pray. Paul says pray about everything, not just the big things, not just religious things, but everything. Even the little details of life. The Phillips translation I referred to earlier says, When you pray, tell God every detail of your needs. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Tell God about it. In fact, in 1 Peter 5, 7, Peter says, You can throw the whole weight of your anxieties upon him, for you are his personal concern. Don't you like that? That's good Phillips translation there, in my opinion. You can throw the whole weight of all your anxieties on him, for you are his personal concern. This little story a few years ago. On the day that our new children's pastor and her family were going to move into their new home in Jackson... Joanne and I thought the Lord was impressing on us to go to the store and kind of uh, pick up a few basic items for them, things they ought to have on their, in the refrigerator or on their shelves that they'll be glad they had as they move in. And we just felt like the Lord wanted us to do that. Now, one of the things about this story that's important for you to know is this. We went to Walmart to buy the few things we wanted to get for her. Now, why is that important? Because we never shopped at Walmart. Not for groceries. I mean, never. In fact, I didn't even want to go there. We were Kroger shoppers. We always shopped at Kroger. You can talk to Joanne about that. We always shopped at Kroger. She misses Kroger yet. We don't have one where we live. But we went to Walmart. So we were walking, you know, up and down the aisle. We we're trying to think about what they would need. They have a, a young toddler that they're going to need to try to satisfy and help. And <clears throat> what kind of things are they going to need? Want to put on the shelf? What are they going to need to have on hand to begin their life in Jackson? And we really didn't have a clue about their preferences. We didn't know what they needed or what they liked or what we, we, we were just pretty much shooting in the dark. But we felt like the Lord wanted us to do it. We got to the end of one aisle, turned around that end cap, you know, and started up the other aisle. And all of a sudden, there she is, our new children's pastor, leaning over her cart. And we were a bit startled to see her because, you know, first of all, we didn't know she was there. And the other thing is we wanted to surprise her with all this later. But there she is in the middle of the aisle. How are we going to hide what we're doing? So we had a little conversation. Pretty much in the conversation, we realized we needed to confess what we were up to. So we did. We told her what we were trying to do for her and her family. In the midst of that, in saying that to her, she responded with tears in her eyes, telling us what she had been doing 
She had been walking through the grocery, up and down the aisles, saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. You know what we need, and you know how little money I have. I'm trying to help us understand. We can tell God anything. Tell him everything. And that's what she was doing. She'd already learned that lesson. She was walking up and down the aisles of Walmart saying, Lord, help me. You know what we need. And you know how little money I have. At that very moment, Joanne and I were glad we'd gone to Walmart that day. We knew God was in it. And so from that moment on, in that afternoon, we shopped with her. We just went up and down the aisles. We didn't have to worry about what she liked or didn't like. She was there to tell us. And she didn't have to worry about having to get get to the end of her shopping spree and not having, not having enough money. I'm trying to just say to you, you can tell God everything. Amen. The third step for worrying less and trusting more is live gratefully in everything with thanksgiving, he says. The Good News Version says, always asking Him with a thankful heart. The healthiest human emotion is the attitude of gratitude, they say. Some studies suggest that a thankful heart actually increases our immune system. Ungrateful people also tend to be unhappy people. Nothing ever seems to be good enough for them. Somebody has called them when and then people. And by that they mean when such and such happens, then they'll be happy. But they never are. One of the exercises often suggested for people who are mildly depressed is to make a list, maybe even a list of 50 things or more, for which they are grateful. And then focus on the blessings that they have in their life. And then as they begin to think about the people who have blessed them, and those blessings they have they've received, and begin to express gratitude in their heart for them, to actually sit down and write a note to that person who may have impacted their life for good in one way or another, telling them specifically how it benefited them. And focusing on being grateful can really lift your spirits. They find it's a helpful mechanism for helping us overcome depression. Gratitude is a powerful antidote to worry because it helps you recognize how much God has done for you in the past. How He has taken care of you in the past. And you know He can do it again. Give thanks, Paul said in the Thessalonian letter. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There's always something for which we can be grateful. Amen. A little exercise you might want to do this, uh, this weekend, considering it's Memorial Day weekend, is as you walk through the cemetery this weekend or some other time that you may go, Begin to look at some of the grave markers around you and remember the people who have influenced your life for the good and thank God for them. Just just thank the Lord that that person ever lived and influenced you. <clears throat> you might be surprised 
and how it might help you to lift your spirits. And at least for a little while, live gratefully. Grateful living. The fourth step to worrying less and and trusting more is this. Think with excellence. That's there in verse 8. If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on those things. To live without worry, you must change the way you think. Worry comes from within, not from outside of us. God says, choose carefully what you think about. Think on things that are true, noble, and right, and lovely, and admirable. If there's any excellence in them, or if they're praiseworthy at all, think about such things. So, you could let those eight words be something of a a spam filter for your thoughts. You test them. When a thought comes, you ask, is it true? Is it noble? Is it right? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it admirable? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And if it doesn't meet the test, you just don't think about it. You just lay it aside. You won't dwell there. Because that's not excellence in thinking. Because as a man thinks in his heart, the proverb says, so is he. You can change a lot when it comes to worry by changing the way you choose to think. Okay, the four steps. Number five, enjoy the benefit. What's the benefit? Well, there it is in verse 7. Paul gives us the result of taking those steps for living without worry. He says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Another translation of this verse says, <clears throat> if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your heart quiet and at rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. You know, people are looking everywhere for peace. Some kind of peace of mind. They are trying pills, the latest fad, some kind of therapy, stress reduction seminars, reading books, listening to tapes, much more, trying to find a little bit of peace in their life. And we may infer from what Paul has said here that God's peace will be God's gift to you if you surrender control Tell God everything, live gratefully, and think on the things that are excellent. Let me tell you, the real key to all this is found in those last words of verse 7. In Christ Jesus. Or as you trust in Christ Jesus. In addressing God in prayer one day, Isaiah said to, to God, You will keep those in perfect peace. You will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Paul is saying, This peace and this freedom from worry begins and ends with Christ. It doesn't necessarily come from going to church or practicing some religion. It comes from a relationship 
with Jesus Christ. Just these closing thoughts. I'm thinking of an incident that appears in all three of the four Gospels. When Jesus calms the storm, you remember that on the on the the, the lake, <clears throat> took his disciples, his, his buddies out there on the lake one day, and Matthew's version gives us a little information I want to point to. They're out there doing their thing, going where they're going, and a fierce storm comes up. You remember? And in fact, it's so fierce, the waves are shooting up over the, the, the edges of the boat, filling up the boat. The guys think, we're drowning. And they're, gonna, they're looking around for Jesus and finally discover he's in the back of the boat and he's asleep. And that's about all they could handle. I mean, it, it says they shouted at him. Lord, save us! We're going to drown! And I've had, I, I picture Jesus getting up calmly. And here's his response. He says, Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. Why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And then he got up and rebuked the wind and the, the waves and everything became calm. And I thought about those words. Why, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And I can imagine that Jesus could have been saying something like this. Why are you so worried? You've been with me all this time. You've listened to me teach. You've watched me cleanse the man with leprosy. You you were there when the Roman soldier came to me and I just spoke the words and his servant was healed. Peter, Peter, you and the guys were there when I drove the fever out of your mother-in-law that day. You've seen how demons obey me. You've rejoiced with me as I've relieved the suffering of multitude of people by healing. Fellas, listen, really. You need to worry less. And trust me more. Can you hear him saying that? In those words? You you need to worry less. And trust me more. I'm right here with you. You get it? And perhaps Jesus is saying to all of us today, "You, you know me, right? I have a record. I have a history. You you, you know what I've done in the past. You know me, right? So you really need to start worrying less and trusting me more. Then my peace, the peace I give, not, not the kind of peace the world wants you to have, but the peace that I give, my peace will reign in your life. Here's the bottom line. Our peace is in our relationship with Jesus. Do you have that relationship? Do you know him today? 
that peace is in our relationship with Jesus. Heavenly Father, you know us today, and we know you. And I pray, Lord, that you will help us to know you better. And I pray, Father, that you'll help us to have the kind of relationship with you that allows us to surrender control and be comfortable telling you everything, all of our needs, all of our problems, all of our uh, confusions, just telling you everything. You'll help us to live with grateful hearts and think on excellent things of God so that we might have the peace that you offer us today. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to do something um, a little unusual, and, and, and they're going to help me even though they don't know the song. Okay, we talked about it earlier. They don't know it. I, try, I, try, I tried to see if they know it. <clears throat> There's a little chorus that we used to sing, I used to sing, as a kid in church. Actually, even in my mother's uh, child evangelism good news clubs that you may or may not know anything about, but she used to do that. And there's this song that came out of it. It says, why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus, he'll lead the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Lean fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? <clears throat> now, as obviously, I'm having some little voice trouble today, but Joanne's going to sing loud. <laughs> and if you know it, sing with us. If you don't, we'll give you another shot at it in just a minute. You ready? It says... Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus, he'll lead the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Lean fully on his promise. Why worry, 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 worry when you can pray? That's pretty easy. Anybody ever hear it before now? Yeah. My friend Verla and her husband Ken... They've heard it before. They may have even heard me sing it before. I don't remember. Let's try it, okay? Words on the screen? You say it was too high? Oh, well, then you start it this time. Worry when you can pray. Trust Jesus. He'll lead the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Lean fully on his promise. Worry, 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 worry when you can pray. Most fun part is the last line. One more time and then you can, then you can have your, your, your closing songs, okay? Why worry when you can pray? Trust Jesus, he'll lead the way. Don't be a doubting Thomas. Rest on his promise. Worry when you can pray. Maybe that'll run through your mind, okay?